you know, we started with hard-hitting stuff like video fireplaces and video aquariums. So yeah, I'd go take a camera to my friend's houses, well, my friend's parents' houses that had nice houses and nice fireplaces and set a camera up, light a fire in like the middle of June, videotape that, buy some Christmas music, put it with it, <laughs> put that on a DVD um, and sell that. This is the Vance Cole Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. This is a podcast where I try and interview experts that have a deep knowledge in an area that I don't know anything at all about, and then try and figure out how do they understand the world in ways that could help me do things better. This week's interview is with a really unusual character named Jamie Salvatore. Jamie is the CEO of an online retail outlet called vat19.com. Now, if you go to this website, you will find that they sell really unusual things like a six foot long gummy worm or the world's spiciest chocolate or all sorts of silly putty and games and toys that you can't find just anywhere out on the internet. What's even more interesting about Jamie than his unusual store is the fact that he has marketed so many of his products on YouTube, and he's done it so well that he's actually amassed an audience of 6.5 million subscribers. Many of his videos get all the way up to 85 million views. This is an incredible reach, and it actually describes something that I think is pretty important. Jamie knows how to capture the attention of people and keep them entertained and engaged, and it's helped him build a very successful business. You will find out, though, that Jamie isn't just a great marketer. He thinks about things in very unusual ways. And after we get through the components of how did he start his business and what is he really doing on YouTube, we start talking about what is his impression and how does he feel about kids and what they should or shouldn't be allowed to watch on YouTube or what technology should be made available to them. And he also ends up talking about YouTube and how they've demonetized certain programs over others and how does he feel about that and components of things like hate speech. This was a wide-ranging conversation and quite interesting, and one of the things that you should note is, as soon as we got done with this interview at about 11.30 at night, Jamie left here and went back to work. He is a hardworking entrepreneur, and there is a lot to learn here, but even more than that, you can tell that Jamie has a great personality and is just fun to be around. So buckle in and enjoy. Jamie Salvatore, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So a few weeks ago, I had you down, you and your wife down to my house. We just moved into the neighborhood a little while ago, and we were sitting outside, and um, I remember thinking before you came over that it was nice that the couple was coming over. It was going to be a lot of fun. And then we were sitting outside, and um, I was talking to your wife, and she ends up being a PhD scientist and actually quite quite impressive. Yeah. And then I turned to you and was like... Um, so you're like an attorney or something? Yeah, nah. <laughs> my brother was. My uncle is. Grandfather was. My brother is. Um, but n- me, not so much. And so I, I think- felt like you were disappointed for a moment that I wasn't an attorney. Well, I think like it- you had a legal problem that maybe I could help you with. So what? So I, now I was like totally on unsure footing because now I'm like, okay, well, what does this guy do? And you're like, I, d- I do some YouTube stuff. <laughs> yeah, I always have a hard time explaining what what I do to people. 
because um, everybody just wants a one word answer. I'm in construction or like, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm an attorney or, or whatever. Something that's easy to sort of explain, but I don't really know what my profession is because my business is kind of weird and we do a, a number of different things. So you then say to me, um, you know, I work in YouTube and I said, well, what, you know, what's, what's the channel? I'm interested in this. And you said, what's well, VAT19, V-A-T-19. And so I, of course, rudely pull out my phone as you and my no, wife. No, I wanted you talking, to check. And yeah. I check it and I'm like, oh my God, we're sitting with a man that runs a YouTube channel with 6.5 million subscribers. Yeah. Like you're bigger than Rhett and Link. This is this is unbelievable. No, and they've got more subscribers. I just looked it up this morning. They have four point five million. That might be on their like another a second channel or like a crew channel or something. But their main channel is like fifteen million. Okay, or in, twenty million. In, in any like case, that. you have enough subscribers that millions and millions and millions of people see your views. And in fact, I was just looking it up this morning. You have a video that's been seen by 85 million people. You have other videos that have 25, 15, 5 million views consistently. So we are sitting with a man that runs a YouTube channel that does something to grab people's attention. And I could give a description of it, but I'd be, I'd be very interested in hearing how do you describe to people the videos that you put out to the world? That's a good question. Um, so our YouTube channel began as a way to promote the products that we sell on our gift store. So um, my, my professional life is a little strange, the story, but basically right now um, I have a gift store that sells toys, candies, and sort of general gifts okay and they're kind of weird products not kind of weird they're the weirdest products that you can okay, find. okay so yeah. they're kind of weird they're they're not your essentials okay okay no it. one no one would mistake us for amazon and like oh yeah i'd go there to get copy paper um, right we sell weirder stuff it appeals to either the kid inside or literal kids and we make videos on youtube to promote these outrageous products as outrageously as we can. And so why don't you give an example of some of the outrageous products that, that, that you sell at your store? I think our most popular product right now is a chocolate bar. Although I guess you could use the phrase bar with the air quotes around it because it's one and a half inches by one inch. Um, so that's not, that's pretty small, but it's the world's spiciest piece of chocolate it'll put any spice tronaut to shame i mean it's as spicy of food that you can create and it is so popular i don't know why people i guess people like pain um are they like testing themselves or they're just you know someone tells you this is the spiciest thing in the world and you just want to try it and like see what happens to you. you and know? so if you were trying to sell that chocolate, like, and you were an ordinary person, you'd be like, Hey, I've got this chocolate bar. It's really spicy. Do you want to try this? But in your YouTube channel, that's not what you do. You feature these products in really unusual ways. Yeah. Um, you got to grab people's attention. I I've been kind of telling the folks at work that, you know, we sort of, um, 
you know, we sell a lot of candy and food, like in this world's hottest chocolate bar. We also sell the world's largest gummy bear, right? We've got one that weighs 26 pounds. It's like, <laughs> it's like the size of a four-year-old, you know? Um, it's giant, giant gummy worms. Um, uh, you know, really just uh, a six-foot inflatable soccer ball. You know, a lot of really kind of random but fun products. And w- when you want to sell something like that, um, you got to have fun with it. And you've got to um, – what am I trying to say? You, you have to uh, grab people with something that um, is different and unusual. It's got to fit the product, right? The product's kind of weird. And so you can't just tell people that it's the spiciest chocolate bar in the world. You got to, you got to show them. So you got to, you got to eat it and you got to try to eat a lot of it. And you're going to have to uh, be in pain. You know, you're gonna have to suffer for those sales. And so, so to give an example of how you've done this, one of the ones that caught my attention. So I watched several hours of this right after you you. left. I said, that's how we, that's how we got to 6.5 million subscribers because it's addictive. So right after you left, I'm I'm sure that evening I stayed up and watched, I don't know, two hours of your videos. Cause once you start, you just can't, you're totally hooked. You're very, very good at this. But then even today I was watching some and with that world's spiciest chocolate bar, you took a bunch of them, uh, ground them up, and then put them in a uh, chocolate fountain. Oh, that's right! I forgot about that. And then you took you you would have the your employees dip some sort of candy in it, and then take a bite of it. And there's no mistaking like there's no actor on earth that could fake the level of intensity that they're going through. And it's so mesmerizing because even though I can't smell or taste the chocolate, I'm like, that looks really really intense. Yeah, um, we have to do it for real because we aren't good actors. <laughs> you know, we gotta. You know, we gotta method act. Um, so I'm lucky that I've got employees willing to try that spicy stuff because it's it wreaks havoc on the way in and on the way out. Right? Oh wow! It's not just for while you're recording. It's it's rough. And, and then you're doing other things outside of just like spicy stuff. Like uh, one of the first videos I ever saw was when you made the world's largest uh, bath bomb. Oh, yeah. And so I, I actually wasn't familiar with bath bombs. But this is like the concept of like you get a little ball and you drop it in your bath and then it makes suds and you can sit in it. Is that? Yeah. Um, I wasn't that familiar with them either. But I think they're more popular with women than they are for men. And it's some sort of um, combination of like, um, is it baking baking soda and a couple other chemicals? And, and so you can sort of mold it into a thing and then you can put fragrance in it and you throw it into your bath. And I guess it, it you know, fizzes. It's like a Alka-Seltzer tablet for your bathtub or something. I don't, I don't know. Women would understand this a lot better than I do. Um, and, um, well that came about, that's a weird one because the video came first and the product came second. Okay. So, um, the pool at my house was, was broken and we needed a new pool. And so I was sitting at dinner with my wife, Allison, and I said, we're killing this pool, right? So what could we do to this pool that you would never do to a pool that you 
that you cared about, right? <laughs> you know, um, since we're getting rid of it anyways, and we're putting a new pool in. And she had the idea of of a giant bath bomb, just making like a huge one because you know it's it's probably going to mess up your pool as far as like the filters and whatever. I mean, you just wouldn't want to put that much like weird chemicals in your pool. So that was the idea. And then we started working backwards from there because most of our videos promote a product that we sell in our store. So it was like, what, what do we do? So I start looking into all these bath bombs. I'm like, they're all the same. I can't find anyone that's like interesting or cool. So, you know, um, eventually we came across a lady making black bath bombs. So you throw it into your bathtub and it, and it turns it black. It kind of like dyes your bathtub black. And I was like, that's it. Let's make this giant bath bomb and have it turn my pool black. That'll be awesome. And um, it, it barely worked. That was like super high stress level for like a few weeks. And so the video is essentially you you have a bunch of people that get together and they figure out like how are we going to construct this cylinder or not even a cylinder, like a, like a sphere that you can then mix all the chemicals in to make a bath bomb and then you buy... It looked like industrial ingredients to be able to put all this together. You make this bath bomb and then you drop it into your pool and it just explodes and makes black everywhere. And then your employees jump into the pool and start swimming around in it. Yeah, I think we all got a rash. Did you really? Yeah. I mean, everybody had to have wondered because it is black, black, black. Yeah, I think, you know, I don't think that's, I don't think bath bombs are good for your skin. You know? Okay. <laughs> I don't, well, maybe you're not supposed to stay in them for like three or four hours, which is what we ended up doing, you know, because you're like, we just put this giant bath bomb in this pool. We're going to hang out for a while. But that was a ton of fun. It was super high stress because, you know, you can look on the internet for a recipe to make a bath bomb, but everyone's making them, you know, this big. We've got to make one that's four feet in diameter. I mean, it weighed 2,000 pounds. <laughs> 2,000. So, yeah. So when you start thinking about, I'm, I'm thinking back to when we made that video and, and the problems that we ran into, you know, I don't want to bore people with them, but, you know, when you scale something up that large, things come into play that don't normally, when you're working on something that's like two inches in diameter, um, you know, how long is it going to take to dry? Oh, because, yes. you know, to dry all the way into the middle of this thing, like, is it going to work? And then, you know, we built the molds at my studio, but then we've got to get everything to my house and we got to build it. And what, what if we take the mold apart and the whole thing just crumbles and we've just wasted thousands of dollars and, you know, hundreds of man hours making this thing and it, and it doesn't work, you know, now what? So that brings up an interesting question. When when you're making a video like that, what is your goal? It's it's views. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and and what does that mean to to people that aren't familiar with YouTube? Like I'm a YouTube junkie, but I have found that that kind of puts me as an anomaly in the in the tribes I run around in. Um, I think most people don't have any idea one how big YouTube is, but then two, like how who's making money there and how are they doing it. Well, YouTube, I think, is the world's second largest search engine behind Google. So it's gigantic. I, I can't remember the stats off my head, but off the top of my head, but I think they've surpassed a, a billion unique visitors um, 
what is it, a month or something like that? I mean, Facebook's at maybe $2 billion or something. YouTube's probably right, right around there. It's gigantic. I mean, it's... Um, I, I've been on YouTube and, you know, obsessed with it for 10 years. And I come across YouTubers all the time that I've never heard of that are two, three times my size, you know, that are getting hundreds of millions of views a month, have 10 million subscribers. I'm like, I've never even heard of this person because it's so giant that you might just, you know, never get to that corner of YouTube. Um, as far as who's making money on YouTube, I mean, a lot of people are, I think it's overblown how much money people are making on YouTube. It's a newer media platform. And so, yeah, your, your top 10 people might be making pretty decent livings, but considering how many eyeballs they're generating, how many views they're generating, um, we're really underpaid and this isn't supposed to be like a woe is me. Um, cause I know people are thinking, Oh, you like you sit around your house all day making like stupid videos and you get paid for it. Like poor you. And it's like, well, that's what some people do on YouTube. And I, I sort of agree. I don't have much sympathy, but, um, if you take the viewership and let's say you compare the viewership of a YouTuber that's, um, getting 50 million views a month, right? Uh, well, let's make the math easier. 60 million a month. It's about 2 million a day. How many viewers does Rachel Maddow get each night on yeah. cable? Oh, news? yeah, it's not, it's not 2 million. Yeah. I don't think it's 2 million. Yeah. And what and is it's she? It's certainly not 30 days a week that she's getting yeah. 2 million. Yeah. What is she pulling in? 20, 25, 30 million a year? Uh, no YouTubers making that much money. No way. So. What's the difference between the eyeball on YouTube and the eyeball on cable? The only difference is the advertisers, you know, still feel more comfortable on cable than they do on on YouTube. And so the they're just not willing to pay as much or there are not as many advertisers there. So the price is a lot lower. But you you can make a living on YouTube, but um I think in general they're underpaid for the amount of, of exposure they get. And for your business model, you're more diversified than the kid that's making Let's Play videos because you have both the videos that you're making. So there's viewership. Then you have sponsors that actually say, hey, regardless of how many, well, we, we want you to get a certain number of views, but we're we're putting money up front um, as, as the same way a regular advertiser would. And then you actually sell things in your store. Uh, yeah. So we do have yeah, three different sort of revenue streams there, but they're all predicated upon, you know, the views from YouTube. I mean, if our views suddenly, you know, go way down, then obviously the ad revenue from YouTube would go down. The sponsors will pay less because you're getting lower views and the traffic coming to my store will be lower as well and the revenue from the store will be lower. So the YouTube channel is the primary driver for our business. Well, I mean, this actually is the one of the very first things that we talked about that night once we found once I found out about your YouTube, which is um, do you feel like you're in danger by having your by having your channel or your your ability to make money coming from, you know, essentially Google. They can turn on or off that switch. Your business is always um, in danger. Okay. That that's what I think. I mean, I don't think any business is ever really 
safe. Um, I think that's why it needs, you know, good stewardship, right? You got to be thinking about it, caring about it. Um, I haven't been in business that long compared to some other folks, probably about 17 years. I've already pivoted my business at least three times and it was necessary each time, you know? So, um, and if I hadn't made those changes, the business would be dead. And what were you doing? You, you, you had a business before YouTube then? Yeah. Um, we had like a family business that did video production Oh, for companies here in St. Louis. So you would come to us and we'd make like a terrible video for you. You, know? <laughs> you got a car dealership? Yeah, I'll make that video. Oh, um, no kidding. You got, um, uh, you need a video about sexual harassment? I'll make that video for you. <laughs> Did you make that uh, video? Yeah. Did you make it? Oh, of course. And so what is that like? You have scripts and then it's like, you know, should should Roger come in the I room? blocked and- it all out. <laughs> the worst were the medical videos. So these doctors would record themselves. Oftentimes it was like plastic surgeons recording themselves doing procedures. And there was a company here in St. Louis that... Um, sold the i guess it was like edu- continuing education or I, I don't know and so these doctors are in there and they're just they're just like hammering away at some person's nose you know doing a rhinoplasty and <laughs> yeah we're like making those videos so that's what we were doing we were just um selling time like a lawyer would except you know f- for a lot less than a lawyer makes it wasn't a good business. And so what signaled to you guys that it was time to get out of the uh, the video-making business? The signal was probably the amount of money in the bank account. <laughs> you know, it's that's an extremely difficult business. And at age 22, 23, not one that I could properly navigate. I mean, maybe now I could do something like that, but I wouldn't enjoy it. So we... Um, we started trying to pivot away from that and trying to own more of our own destiny by making our own content. So, and this is how we got to a store. So we saw the explosion of DVDs. So we started to try to make our own DVDs and sell them on our website. No way. Wow. That's, that's entrepreneurial. Um, so we, you know, we started with hard hitting stuff like video fireplaces, in video aquariums. So yeah, I'd go take a camera to my friend's houses. Well, my friend's parents' houses that had nice houses and nice fireplaces and set a camera, light a fire in like the middle of June, videotape that, buy some Christmas music, put it with it, (laughs) put that on a DVD um, and sell that. And that's sort of the first DVD we made. Then there was the video aquarium and then there was like the calming DVD. And then I expanded into educational dvds and how did they do but how like how did the fire dvd do like those did like pretty well you know uh like you're talking like enough for you to take your girlfriend out to dinner or like paying your rent oh um i'm trying to remember we probably over the years gosh i'm just pulling this number out we we probably sold anywhere from Twenty to fifty thousand copies of that. Holy jeez! Maybe, maybe more. I don't know. Some, but we're talking over the course of maybe four or five years, and um, then we got into educational stuff. And you'll like this. Um, 
so we made like I made like a driver's educational DVD. I made a DVD on public speaking. Hey, all right. Right, how to give a speech. It was called Making the Speech. Um, and it was like a reality stuff. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about the video. It's not terrible, but kind of cringy. And so we would uh, make these and, you know, I'd make flyers and send them out to like libraries. So a big business for us for a while was selling to schools and libraries. And there's distributors that sell into those markets. And so... I would I would pitch them my DVDs and um, did that for a few years, but then I saw that DVDs were kind of it looked like they were gonna you know stop being as popular, and um, I thought, well, okay, if if I can't make the product anymore that I'm selling, then I've got to sell other people's products, and I loved making these goofy trailers for our DVDs, right? That would promote the DVD, try to you know. Uh, entice you to buy this fireplace dvd so i thought i can just make trailers like goofy trailers for products and there'll be no client no customer i'll make money when i sell the product and that was like the big shift back in about 2007 where did you imagine you were going to place those videos was youtube youtube yeah at that point youtube was a thing um, cause YouTube started in like 2005, I think. And around 2006, 2007, I was putting those DVD trailers on YouTube because it was free. It was free hosting. Cause before that I was paying this company called Akamai probably $1,200 a month for, uh, like video bandwidth oh, yeah. for the bandwidth to stream out the videos to sell these ridiculous DVDs. It had to have been so painfully slow back then to be doing videos. Oh, and, and the videos were like, you know, they were like this big. I mean, they were like, you know, I don't know, like, um, they, the kids today would say they were shot with a potato. You know what <laughs> I mean? I mean, they were like these 320 by 240, four by three aspect ratio, tiny little videos that took forever to buffer. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, you know, would play for a little bit and then you'd wait. Sometimes you'd like go to the bathroom, come back. Ah, now it's buffered. Yeah, it'd be easier to watch grainy Cinemax on your TV. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, that was back when it's like, I better make this video short because no one's going to want to sit through a five-minute long video that buffers. And so then, so that YouTube was your primary, you, you saw the light it was, there. It was free. No, I didn't see any light there. I'm not like that. I don't have, I'm not like visionary at all. It was free. And that's where I put the stuff. I don't even think back then there, you know, you would, you had like a YouTube account. I don't even know if they called them channels. I don't even know if there were subscribers back then. There was no vanity metrics. I wasn't. It was just free. It was just a place to put it, and the videos would play back. And its sole purpose was to get people that were on my store to buy something. That's it. I did not see YouTube as a advertising medium for us. I ran ads in a bunch of other places to get traffic to my store. And then YouTube was just something I embedded on my website to just play back my, um, my commercials. And then did it, did it work then? Yeah. Yeah. And that's how VAT19 got started then? That's how we got started. I mean, I spent a lot of, I basically poured all the money from selling the DVDs, which were very high margin, back into advertising to try to get traffic to the store as we started adding other products and making trailers for these 
other products. And then know. with those products, are you buying them wholesale? You're going out yeah. and finding cool things and saying, I'm mm-hmm. going to buy 50,000 of them. And Yeah. I mean, the first three years, it was tough because it's like, you know, I got one person there buying and they're like, what, what is our store, Jamie? I go, I don't know. You know, um, find me cool products. Like what, what is that? What's a cool product? I mean, I can't stress enough how there was no business plan. <laughs> okay. Like I can't stress enough how this was not strategic at all. This was, um, I'm broke. I'm just trying to figure out my way here. I'm, you know, at that point, 27 years old, um, you know, not a lot of experience in business, just trying to figure, trying to figure out a way to make some money. That's it. And when you were 27 or even before that, were people around you like, Jamie's a hustler, he's going to make it work? Or they're like, and Jamie's lost. He's, he's just never, he's never going to make it. I don't know. Surely you have some sense. Were, were people rooting for you? I don't know. I, I, kn- I know my wife was. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> she I mean, was rooting for me. But um, friends and whatnot, I don't, I don't know. I, um, I didn't, I mean, this might make me sound what, like whatever, but I, I, didn't, I didn't really like solicit their opinion on my life and what I was trying to do. I don't know if I don't know what the employees thought at that time. If they thought, oh, you had employees by that point. Well, we, yeah. Well, as a you know, it was a family business, and so we went from about fifteen employees um, down to about four. From the from the videos that you were making, the The, instructional videos, the four hire business, the service based business had about fifteen people. September 11th came along, and every advertiser in the country was like, you know, pump the brakes. So maybe a couple weeks after September 11th, we had to let go 10 of the 15 people there. So we were left with like four or five people, and it's like, all right, so let's, um, what are we going to do here? So I started making the DVDs that I mentioned, and, you know, when you've got like four people, it's like, okay, I think maybe we can pull off filming a fireplace, you know? And then I started to sort of try to improve it and grow as we go. But I was probably too naive or wrapped up in what I was doing to even think to survey the employees to see if they thought this this was going to work, if they felt secure in their jobs or anything like that. I was just like... I'm going to try this thing and see if we can make some money doing it. You know, as I said, no, no business plan. It was just like, okay, I think this makes sense. Let's try this. Okay. This is working. Do more of that. Oh, that's not working. Stop doing that. Keep doing more of this. And I don't know. Well then when, when did the thing start to settle out and you started to say, Hey, things are, things are going, they're heading up. Was it, was there a big turning point? Um, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more pessimistic than optimistic by nature. So I've never felt like, oh man, it's going really well. That is uh, shocking because your personality online is like exuberant optimist with, with uh, just, you know, this happy, playful attitude. Um, you know how people can like trick 
you know, the mind over body, you can sort of, uh, if you start, you know, thinking that you're sick, you become sick type of thing. So that's my technique. Okay. Oh, this is going to be awesome. This is going to work. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And then maybe it turns out well, but deep down, um, I'm never like, oh, we got this. Business is doing great. We're awesome. It's, it's more like, um, you know, uh, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh crap, oh God. Oh, you know, most of the time that's what's really going on. Um, because yeah, I just feel like any business you're, you're one, you're a couple bad decisions away from ruining the entire thing. How many employees do you have now? 23 or 24, 25, somewhere like that. And what are they doing all day? God only knows, right? Well, I mean, the reason I ask is because a big shtick in your show is that you stop by people's offices and you're like, hey, you can either hold this sucker that's like flaming hot in your mouth or you can lick my toe. And so there's that brings up a couple of interesting questions. Right. One one of which is, what, what are those employees doing before you walk in there? But then second is, when you hire someone, do they sign a waiver that they're they're going to be exposed to potentially dangerous and somewhat weird working conditions is that something i should do i don't know (laughs) maybe i I should i may interview a lawyer and ask them (laughs) (laughs) um so you know we've got employees there that focus on the store aspect of things um we have our own warehouse so i've got warehouse uh employees that are shipping out all the things that we sell and then there's a lot of folks there working on the videos you know so um yeah yesterday for instance we shot an episode of a new series we've been working on it was episode four of of a series called hidden in plain sight where one of my employees hides from me in the building all day and i'm trying to find them so i can put them you know back to work so their job that day is to not work and my job that day is to try to get them you know back to work but they have to be hiding in plain sight Meaning you can see them plain as day if you know where to look. Okay. Um, and uh, it's maddening. Really? Oh, yeah. Because they're very good at it, number one. They're very clever, very smart with uh, the ideas. And I don't want to say what any of them are and ruin any of the episodes, but they're great reveals. When you figure out, when you finally see how they've been hiding, you're just like, mm, that was good. Um but it's maddening for me because everyone in the building knows where the guy is hiding. His name's Danny. I'm always trying to find Danny. Everyone knows where he is. Uh, so you feel like everyone's laughing at you because you haven't found him yet. And I can't find him. And I just know he's sitting around doing nothing. I'm paying this guy to do nothing. And I want to find him and put him back to work. Um, so it's maddening. But it's a lot of fun. Your employees seem uh, like the type of people that would be on uh, MythBusters or something, right? Like a lot. Well, at least yeah. some of them, right? Like they, 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 they're in a shop and they're building trebuchets, like right. you know, and uh, to do the giant cornholer game. Yeah, and uh, and and they have a they have a, a whole lot of skills, and I find myself thinking, and I, I'm I, well, at least you do a very good job of 
of making it so it's like, man, I could only dream of working in such a dreamland place. And I know in the back of my mind, it's work. It's got to be work, right? You're paying people to show up. Yeah. But it it appears to be a like a very warm, congenial, exciting place to be. I think that it is. Um, but it always looks better on video than it you know, probably is in real life. But um, video production by nature is a really cool profession because it's a lot of problem solving, you know, and, um, unless you've, you know, shot a little, uh, unless you've shot a lot of video, um, and different stuff. And I mean, we've shot 14, 1500 different videos. It's just a lot of just, as I said, problem solving. And so that translates well, if you've got uh, a couple guys there on the video team that, you know, are kind of handy and have done some, you know, um, minor engineering stuff, they're just very adept at, okay, how do we make this work to get this done for this video? So that's, um, that, I mean, to, that give, a, to give a good example is not only did they build a trebuchet, but one time you, wanted to make um, jello that you could swim in. So you made a giant vat and they had yeah. to boil the water. So they took these big 55 gallon drums and they built stilts that you could then put a burner underneath it. But then the question becomes, all right, well, how do you chill the jello right. fast enough so that you can you can uh, get it to turn into that gelatinous material? And they couldn't find a refrigerator that they could buy that they could just walk into. Well, I wanted to use nature. I just wanted to put them outside when it was cold out. There's your refrigerator. And That's what I wanted to do. But it wasn't cold enough at the time when you were doing it? Well, as we learned, Jello is Jello requires um, a very small temperature range for it to become gelatinous or whatever. It, it can't be below freezing, and it can't be too... I think it's got to be somewhere between like 34 and 40 degrees or something like that. Um, so you're going to have a hard time finding weather that's going to that, cooperate. Like yeah, that. that like over a 12-hour period is going to be right in that range. So we went looking for a refrigerated truck and um but see this is the thing the smart thing would have been to get a giant container that could fit inside of the refrigerated truck. But you know, we already had the container already spent the money on that, couldn't return it. So we just built a refrigerator inside our studio. We just sort of built a frame and put a bunch of um, styrofoam around it and then got an air conditioner. And then you can get this little gadget. I think it was called the CoolBot. And the CoolBot fools your air conditioner into running constantly, right? So we just got a little window unit air conditioner, put it on this styrofoam <laughs> sort of cube, and you fool the CoolBot. And you tell the CoolBot... You know, um, it's, you know, uh, the cool bot tells the air conditioner, I think, hey, it's still 70 degrees in here. And the air conditioner is trying to make it 65. So it just runs nonstop. But that air conditioner can make, you know, a small space, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever that was, 35 yeah, square was like feet 35 or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it can make it 35 degrees if it's running nonstop. 
It was amazing. I was I was surprised when they came out and and it was funny because at the top of the I don't want to give away the whole video, but the, but that that warm um, temperature was enough to make mold on the top. Yeah, but I the, mean, don't give us too much credit. Like we we can figure out some stuff, but we can also ruin it pretty good. And the thing is, is it's just like, well, yeah, it's moldy. We're not selling it to anybody. No one's going to eat it. So yeah, let's just hop do it. On in. Let's just hop on in. I, we'll be fine. You well, know. So if you have these, you know, the, the clearly engineering. Do you have a budget for like, hey, this is our budget for this year on how we're going to make videos, or how does that work? Nah, I mean, I don't. I've never made a budget. Um, you're like a businessman after my own heart you're like no business plan no budget <laughs> i just do it and i'm still paying the mortgage and my children yeah. are all clothed and it's um, fine i don't um no i don't i don't have a degree in business i don't i don't have an mba um i don't um understand accounting that well i understand enough um i don't make budgets um, we just have a culture there of not spending a lot of money on these videos and just put some simple controls into place. I think I've basically told them, um, I don't remember, I don't know what the dollar amount is, but it's somewhere between like 250 and 500 bucks where I'm like, if you want to spend more than that amount of money on something, you got to come in and talk to me first. Simple as that. So like on the Jello one, they were like, okay, Jamie, it's going to cost $1,500 for all the Jello. Do you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, buy it. So that was $1,500 for the Jello. It was like 2000 pounds or something like that. Yeah, it was something I mean, crazy. maybe it was more than that. Wow. Yeah. That, but I felt deep down that that video was going to do well and get a lot of, get a lot of views. So at this point, what is doing well for you? I mean, when you a look million at views. a million views. That's so, what I'd love every video to get a million views within 30 days. And how, oh, within 30, and how many videos are you putting out in, say, a week? We're trying to get to 11 videos every four weeks. So, what's that, 2.75 or something a week? It, it makes me wonder, like, so one of the thoughts that I have about the work that you're doing that's got to be really difficult is what's cool in the world changes and what's cool on YouTube changes even faster. And yeah. yet you've, you've been able to stay on top of that wave for a really long time, how, or, or at least well enough to, to, to be where you're at. We've what, had a lot of ups and downs. Really? It's not, it's not been up the whole time? No. What is, it, what is it like to have a down? What do you mean? It's depressing. No, I'm, I guess I don't mean how did it feel. I mean, you, you're, you're putting up videos and people just aren't watching? Right. Yeah. And that sucks. And when was the last one of those? Today. Really? Yeah. I mean, I watched five or six hours. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, maybe 40 views. I need like... Three million or four million a day. You're talking. So that's what your your business requires. Three to four million. A no, day. I wouldn't say it requires, but that's what you know we're we're hoping for. What we're striving for. Um, the yeah. Um, I. It is. It's an embarrassment of riches. What we've got going on there. 
right? Um, so I try to keep that in perspective. But I think it's human nature. You get accustomed to something pretty quickly. And so, um, you know, if, if it deviate from that norm, you know, it can have a pretty profound impact. I'll give you an example. You know, maybe about six months ago, um, we were in a real downward trend on YouTube. Videos were getting maybe 300 to 500,000 views in, in 30 days. And there'd been times uh, in years gone by where, I mean, we would sort of make bets on how many days until the video gets a million views, right? So it was just the guaranteed we were going to get a million views for this video, maybe more. It was, it was literally like we could do no wrong. No matter what we put up, it was just going to get huge view numbers. And as YouTube changes its algorithm over time, all of a sudden you put a video up that you think is really good and it just doesn't do well. Six months ago, that's where we were. 300, 400, 500,000 views a video, which to many people might be Would like... Would be mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. wildest dreams, yeah. Right. But we've gotten accustomed to a million. So all of a sudden, 500,000 views, which is basically like 10... What is that? Like 10 Yankee stadiums full of people watched your video, right? Um, but that's depressing. That's a failure. So that's how quickly you get accustomed to a particular way. And um, so we had to sort of pivot our whole business, change it, you know, to get the dramatic results we wanted. And it took us a few months, and then all of a sudden the videos start getting millions of views again. Um, What's that conversation like? Because you have creatives there and writers and mm -hmm. uh, and videographers, and, and you're in there saying you guys got to write harder? Like, what do you mean? Well, I mean... <laughs> You can't like, yeah, you no. I mean, that that doesn't work. You know, you can't just go in and say, um, guys, you got to make better videos. <laughs> I'm going to say, what does that mean, man? Right. Um, um, well, we did the thing that I thought I would never do. I hired a consultant. Oh, okay. Yeah. And worked with him for three months, and he gave us some tips and said, try this. Do it. Try it. So... We tried some of the things that he suggested, and they turned out to, to work. And so once everybody saw that, it's easy to get the buy-in and say, guys, okay, we got to go from, from this mode of making videos and shift it all the way over to this mode. Can you describe any of that, like the changes? So... We, um, I mean, it's kind of like inside baseball sort of YouTube stuff, but in a nutshell, um, we went from making videos that were one or two minutes long to ones that were over 10 minutes long. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, and then we started, um, doing a lot of testing. The, the, uh, who who's watching your videos? I mean, you kind of you kind know. of alluded. To, you, I think it's kids. Do you get demographic information? You do from YouTube, but what a joke! Because you know they start at age thirteen. Because you know you're not supposed to be you're supposed to be over thirteen to be on YouTube. It's funny that you're bringing up how old people are, and that it, that it's a joke that you don't actually know. Because I was telling Annie that you and I were going to do this interview and she, and I was telling her that, you know, the, the children must love this. And she was like, well, how would you know? And I'm like the demographic information on the back end of YouTube. And she's like, but how does YouTube know if it's a kid or not? 
And I was like, you, you just don't know anything about technology. This is, <laughs> Your wife's smart. Yeah. <laughs> so, right? So you really don't know who those Yankee Stadium full of people are. Do you get noticed when you're out on the street? Yeah. I w- occasionally, yeah. By kids? It's mostly kids. And what's that like? Um, I'm indifferent to it. I didn't expect that as an answer. Um, Meaning you're like, hi, kid. You know, go no, on. I think it's great that they watch. Like, I'm... I'm um, I'm just like, that's awesome. Thanks for being a fan. Thanks for watching. They want to take a picture. They want an autograph or whatever. I'll, I'll do it. But um, I don't walk away from that sort of jumping up in the air and kicking my heels and being like, oh, I'm, I'm recognizable or I've been noticed or something like that. That doesn't, um, that doesn't do anything for like my ego or my level of happiness or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I'm, because that's something you learned, or is that is that? Uh, oh, I guess just, it's just the way I am. Like, man, that has got to be super, super healthy. Because I would imagine the celebrity that comes along with YouTube can be uh, a, a terrible uh, gamble that people play or bet. I you think know, it Faustian could. Yeah, I, yeah, I bet it could be. Um, I mean, you do see that, right? I mean, it happens all the time. People can't sort of handle celebrity, and not that we're celebrities by any stretch. I mean, I know that. Um, I mean, I've had those moments where kids come on tours to our facility and I'll like walk up to meet them and the kids will like, you know, they'll like, (gasps) you know, they'll, they'll, they'll gasp or you try to talk to them and they, they can't talk. Right. And their parents are like, you know, they're, they're freaking out. They're just, you know, and, um, it's hard to understand like that reaction. I mean, I get it. But it's also just like, you know, I just make goofy videos on YouTube. It's not that big a deal. But I understand where they're coming from. But and and I'm super appreciative that we have an audience that wants to see this stuff. But um, and I don't want to make it sound like I don't care about them. I do. I'm just indifferent to it. Doesn't um, yeah. I don't. I don't get a, a buzz out of it. A, an ego lift anything like that i, I mean just... I, I to me this is um wonderful right it's very humble and it's it seems uh genuine and probably keeps you as a i mean makes you a more normal person and it also it's it's a funny thing because if you had walked around your neighborhood i mean there's no way people have any concept in when you're taking your walk that that you're well known to millions of children or... um no and that's good right i don't i don't um I don't aspire to that either. You know, um, I could be in every single video if I wanted and make sure that my face is seen more and more, but I, you know, that's not something I care about. What I, what I get, what I like is making a video that does really well and that people seem to really like and enjoy and, and want to watch that's what I get the big high out of is like, yes, we, we figured it out. It's like cracking code each time, you know, think about what it's gotta be like to have made like a hit movie. I mean, Hollywood's making a couple hundred movies a year, 300 of them. I mean, you got the best 
writers, directors, actors in the world working on these projects? And how many do you remember three years from now out of the 300 that Hollywood makes each year? A handful, right? right? Maybe 10, maybe. So think of what that must feel like to have been the director on that movie, one that, you know, did really well and that people kind of remember. Like to me, that's what, and, and we're, Hollywood, us. I mean, we're. I mean, it's know, all attention at the it end is, of the day. But I mean, it's, it's, we're. You know, it's very, very small, minor thing. I'm not comparing ourselves to a Hollywood movie by any stretch. I'm just saying, the feeling of accomplishment of. It's so hard to get people's attention that when you can make a video that that does well and kids come on a tour and you ask them like, "What's one of your favorite videos?" and they name one because it stuck out to them. Um, that's that's pretty awesome because it's like, hey, we came up with that idea and we figured out how to do this and we did it. And that's so, awesome that, to me. So one of the things that I often talk about is that attention is the most valuable thing that you own. And whatever you're paying attention to is is whatever you think of is the most important thing that you could be doing at that moment. Because if you could think of something more important to be doing at that moment, you'd be doing it. So that means that the in that context the the content that's going out on YouTube that you're putting out is worth you know worth the the most valuable thing that people own their attention. What do you think you've learned about people's attention by making videos and 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 creating that relationship where people are having this kind of joyful experience and being entertained? I've learned that I've got a lot more to learn. Um, you get really cool data from YouTube you get second by second retention information. So you can see that you can see this amazing graph of how you can see this amazing graph of how many people were watching the video at that point of the video. So it starts out at a hundred percent and starts sort of dropping as time moves on. And you can see like, you know, big dips, Right. Oh, when we hit to this point in the video, everyone dropped off and stopped watching. Or, oh my gosh, look at how long everyone kept watching till the very end. And that, to me, is so fascinating, but it's teaching us constantly how to tell better stories, how to keep people's attention longer. Um, first thing we got to do is we've got to grab their attention to start with. You, know, you got to have that thumbnail and title that grabs you in two seconds. It's a book cover. It's a billboard. You got to like grab them and you got to tell a story in half a second. But if they click on it, now you've got to keep their attention for as much of 10 minutes as you possibly can, knowing that everything else on the site is trying to get them to watch the next video or watch a different video or whatever. I mean, how often do you click play on YouTube and you're watching the video and there's, you know, four more right underneath it. And you can be scrolling through and looking at other stuff that you might want to watch while you're watching that one video. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so that viewer is constantly being pulled away from your content. So I've learned how much I don't still know about how to tell a good story and how to craft better stories and, more engaging stories. That's what we're constantly working on is, okay, how do we keep people's attention longer? And that's difficult. And um, yeah, I just, 
you probably find this with a lot of people you talk to that are so-called experts in whatever it is that they do. Um, you know, as you work on this stuff more and more, the the less you feel like you really know it. Oh, we we. I, I also talk about a thing. You know the Dunning Kruger effect. Are you familiar with this? No. So the Dunning Kruger effect is um, the experience. Like if you were to map how how confident from zero to a hundred somebody is on a subject over the amount of time they've spent studying it. So you watch one documentary or you read one book, your confidence spikes from zero way, way up. Maybe you right. listen to a second one, it just keeps going up. But you hit a point where eventually the more you learn, you start saying, oh, wait a second, that exposes how little I know. So your right. confidence starts going down. And it it will continue to go down for a very long time until eventually you'll hit like a trough. You know, we call this the trough of disillusion where you're like, I'm never going to hit the bottom. There's there's so much to know, I'll never know at all. Yeah. But eventually you can come back up and it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. It was oh. it was kind of coined um, by Dunning and Kruger. And uh, I would imagine something like attention, in particular, when you're talking about the algorithms that change in this in this weird world of YouTube, that uh, that you may you may always be in that trough of disillusion. That's the most depressing thing I've heard. But I think <laughs> you're right. But I mean, like, there. But that in, gives me some solace. Yeah, I mean, it, it can one on on the one hand, I, I think one of the things that you learn about that Dunning Kruger effect is to be on the confident side means that you are arrogant and and vastly overestimating what you really know, and and it's only when you're over here falling down that you're saying, "Well, I'm still learning, right? I'm still progressing. I'm still moving along on that path." Yes, that's exactly how. I feel. I mean, that's, that's most of the time is I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, feel like that with so many things. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's healthy. Maybe that's good. But um, I think there's got to be a balance there, right? If you if you were you know the the pessimist that's extremely pessimist never tries anything. The person that says I, you know, I know nothing you know, is, right. is, uh, is just as ignorant as the person that says they know everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I think happens to, you know, this is sort of really simple distilling it down, but it's like, okay, well, you know, if I don't try, I can't fail type of thing. Um, and, and the more effort you put into it, the worse it feels to fail at something. Right. Um, the game I was telling you about where I'm trying to find the employee that's hiding from me. Right. Um, the longer it goes, the more into that trough you feel like you've fallen into, you know, the longer it goes and I can't find this guy. Oh, this is going to feel even worse if I never find him. You're being genuine. Like it yeah. really is frustrating to you that you can't oh, of find course. him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I had to be like, well, maybe he's just doing a stick here. Like no. I can't find him. And then no. there's yeah. music in the background. You right. legit are saying like, I get frustrated at the fact that I can't find it's him in my building, place. right? I know the whole building, top to bottom. There aren't rooms in there that like I don't know where they are. I mean, it'd be like your house. It'd be like inviting me over to your house, and then you counting the ten. I go hide somewhere, and then you can't find me for seven <laughs> hours. You'd be like, "Where is he?" You know. And then to make it even worse, it's like. I'm not hiding. I'm literally in plain sight. 
you just need to know where to look, you know? Um, he's not, he's not like built a false wall or anything like that. Well, I'm that's totally never intrigued. That's I, never where he hides. So anyway, I don't know how we got, how I got off well, on that tangent, so but I, I will put a link to this video as soon as I, as soon as I watch it. And, and because this is, this is good, right? Like you've clearly built some tension here and I'm, I'm willing where to, where is he? One of the thoughts that I have about, you know, you studying attention and figuring out how do I capture other people's attention? How do I do these things is you're a parent for children and people are vying for their attention. So how do you think about how they spend their time in front of a computer or with access to YouTube? Um, and, and, you know, what do you know by being on the other side of the camera? Um, I don't, I don't, I think YouTube's fine. I think iPhones are fine. I think, I think everything's pretty much, uh, unless it's inherently dangerous, say like, um, I don't know, like a hot stove, um, anything's fine in moderation. So YouTube's not going to hurt them. iPhone's not going to hurt them. None of that stuff's going to hurt them. Um, but if you do it seven hours a day, that's a problem. If you do anything that long, that's a problem. So that's how I that's how I view it. So man, this um, is unorthodox. I I did not. What I mean, I mean, like you don't normally hear people say that. You hear people say, you know, you got to watch that. I want to lock it up. You oh, know, the screen we, we time. This, you know, yeah. like yeah, this is very very different. Um. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you can I, keep going with yeah, it. I'm not telling feel, you this is bad advice. I'm just saying um, I think we figured out all these things, you know, um, a long time ago as sort of a culture a species. It's just, and we have them all in, in sort of, you know, phrases or whatever, you know, everything in moderation, boom, you can just you can live your life by that. We figured that out. Just like can't do any one thing too much. Podcasts are awesome, but you can't do it twelve hours a day. Die. Do you do you find yourself uh, telling your kids there are certain channels they can't watch? Sometimes. Um, my wife's not going to like this, but um, dude, my wife never listens. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> At least not that far into it, That's right? right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I. So when I was growing up, the the big fear I think was violence in video games, right? Or maybe it was satanic themes in video games or something. And oh yeah, and, we had Doom and, and all that. Yeah, stuff. and yeah. then like you know bad language and rap songs and all this and Tipper Gore with her rating system on CDs or whatever. What was it? A uh, parental. Parental guidance or something or some sort yeah, they of had the explicit lyrics, explicit and lyrics, and that it was just like, told you which of it. They told you which ones to buy. Right, that <laughs> was a big sticker that said "Buy me, thirteen-year-old Jamie, <laughs> That's buy right. this," and I'm like, you know, um, and you know, none of that caused any harm. Like, you know, um, I think I was fourteen years old, and so my parents were divorced. I think my dad showed me the movie Basic Instinct. It's like 14 or something, you know, I'm pretty normal, you know, didn't ruin me or whatever. I just think these things like language, sex, whatever, 
Um, you know, I just, I just don't think there are any words that are like bad. I don't think in polite company, right. Your five-year-old shouldn't be dropping F-bombs everywhere they go. Um, but generally speaking, I don't think there's a problem with them hearing it. They should just know when it's appropriate to say it and when it's not appropriate to say it. That's all. Um, and yeah, so I just, I don't know. I just don't think keeping kids away from these subjects is protecting them. I think it's sort of coddling them from what's going to happen later on in life. So the concept of uh, family friendly, that's not, that's not one that you... Well, I understand that the majority of people don't agree with what I'm saying. So um, I don't have a pro. I, I make content that falls under those guidelines, but I know that there's a lot of content on YouTube that my kids have access to that wouldn't be considered family friendly. And I don't necessarily have a problem with um, the, my kids seeing that stuff. And I know that that's sort of appealing, especially as my kids get older and become teenagers, they're going to want to watch more and more sort of taboo type of content. Um, but from a business standpoint, I make traditionally family-friendly type of content because I want the broadest audience possible. So it's just like a business move that I wouldn't say is like antithetical to my beliefs on this um, because I'm not saying that content needs to be explicit in order to be good. I just don't think we necessarily have to shield kids from it. I, I mean, it's interesting that you have this perspective in most of all because, I mean, your content could be watched by a 10 year old that wouldn't see anything in there that, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's very, you know, there's no bad language. It's all kind of fun and games. It's all kind of happiness. You're, you're wincing. You don't think. It's yeah. Any- no, I, I, and like, I like Disney movies. I like Pixar movies. Um, I also like incredibly violent movies too. I mean, um, you know, we can all be a lot of different things, you know? I don't know. Walt Disney probably watched porn. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good... Yeah. <laughs> That's the, I like, would... I mean, I don't know, but I'm guessing he did and didn't think that it was... You know, he probably thought, oh, this probably wouldn't... <laughs> this isn't good for the kids, I would... but it's not. I don't think it's not okay for me. Yeah, I don't think he... You know, it's like, okay, his business is going to be, you know, super family friendly, but he might have, like, differing points of view. I mean... um, uh, I think that's okay. I think most evangelical preachers would agree with me on that because I think for business, they project a certain point of view, but I think they're uh, in their real life, they have a very different, they live a, a different set of values perhaps. Okay, so in the same vein of family-friendly is the idea of privacy. So you have a lot of kids that are able to make videos really high quality. They're filming themselves playing video games. They're doing all kinds of stuff. What, from your vantage point, do you do you have concerns about kids getting out on social media at an early young age? 
you're so pensive. Mm. There's never been. I've never had a guest that's so. I'm that, thinking that has about these it. Long drawn out. Oh, pause. Sorry. I'm, I'm sitting there uh, wondering. Do I need to cut these out for you, people? Or you no, might. No, yeah, by all means. Yeah, I would be terrible on radio. Um, I don't have a yes no on that. Um, well, I maybe one yeah, of the I'll things think, people I'll, should consider. Well, you know, it's no good, obviously, when a kid goes and puts himself out there online and then gets sort of bullied by the comments and ends up killing themselves. That's what I think about as like, that's terrible. And then, um, so that's the bad side. All right, so that's the risk you're taking. What's, what's the potential reward? Um, I don't know if the reward's high enough. I'm not, I'm not sure for a child, you know, what, what is the reward? Um, I mean, I guess they're learning skills, which is great. Um, maybe learning the skill of, of coping with sort of negative comments and criticism is, is pretty uh, worthwhile life skill. The money that they might make, um, is definitely a good, a, a good reward, but you know, most guys going out in the business, that are sort of quote unquote risking everything, you know, a 35 year old guy quits his job, starts a business. I'm risking everything. It's not risking his life. Usually it might be risking a bunch of money, mortgage, you know, stuff like that. But, um, these kids seem a lot more fragile because they're just so much younger and taking that kind of online abuse. Maybe that risk isn't, isn't worth the reward. So I'm not, I'm not, Sure. Um, I think the parent just has to kind of look at that and say, okay, what's the makeup of my child? Do I think they can handle it? Should I just disable comments so no one can comment on what my kid's doing? Um, I'll give you a little story. When I was maybe 12 or 13, you know, I was a computer dork. I had what was called a BBS, which stands for a bulletin board system. I don't know if you're oh, familiar. Oh, yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I had one at my house, right? Got my mom to install a second Man, phone you line. Were advanced. So kids could call up this thing. And, um, and you know, um, I remember I was, you know, 13 or 14. And um, my handle on this system was black september okay that's what i chose i'd read a book about it so being 14 i thought i'd be cool right and name my handle black september not really fully understanding you know you're 14 you do stupid things i don't know what that is um i'm trying to i'm trying to remember um let me look it up i think it refers to um a a terrorist event um, perpetrated against Jewish people. Um, oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, Black September was a Palestinian militant organization founded in 1970. Oh, man. Okay. It was responsible so, yeah. for the assassination of a Jordanian prime minister and blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, it's when the is a bunch of Israeli athletes and officials were kidnapped and killed during the 1972 um, Summer Olympics. Okay. And um, I'm not a religious person, but um, my mom was Jewish. So I, so I thought I was sort of being like ironic, calling my handle Black September, okay? Not really understanding what I was like doing by picking that, but I was just like, you know, 
I don't know, being stupid and ironic. Um, and I started getting all these um, people on the bulletin board just harassing me nonstop about all this, you know, anti-Semitic stuff, you know? And um, I just, like... Were you prepared for it? I mean, no. You, you... I didn't think that was going to happen. I just thought it sounded cool. Oh, Black September, that sounds cool. And what know? did it do to you? Like, were you... Were you... I mean, because... I just unplugged like your friends I, at school would see it. No, um, I just unplugged the computer one day and just shut it down. And people kept calling that phone number for like six months trying to get onto the bulletin board. So um, I was really hurt by it. You know, I was like, this person doesn't know me, and they're saying all these terrible things about me because you know our family's Jewish, um, and um, it was it was terrible. But I could I could just turn it off. I could make it go away. I just unplugged the phone line. And so it just sort of went away. Um, and, and so the reason why I bring up that story is because the kids today, do they have, is there an off button for that stuff? I, I don't think there is anymore. You can't just like turn off social media. I mean, they could, they could kill their account, but then that kills their whole, um, like highway into their social network literal social network with their friends and everything. So they can't just kill their Instagram account. Are they going to start a new one? The people that are harassing them will just go to the new one. So that's what I mean by, um, I mean, I guess the kid could, could delete their YouTube account or delete their streaming account. I I haven't thought enough about these things, but I think they're complicated topics. And do you have access to your kids, social media accounts? I don't know if I don't think they have social media accounts or maybe if they do they're all set sort of private or whatever but yeah I don't I guess through my actions of not really wanting my kids to do this stuff I don't think it's good for them and I remember reading something about like a lot of the guys that work out in Silicon Valley send their kids to schools that you know don't have iPads Yet the kid, yet the school my kids go to, they're like, every child has an iPad. You know, they're just like, this is great. And the people that work at Apple that invented the iPad are like, I don't think these are good for kids. You know, I don't know if this is, these are the best devices. Kids being in front of screens all day learning off it is, is great. You know, again, everything in moderation. Um, I don't, I don't think the trade off. Uh, you talked about privacy. I don't, I don't know if it's totally worth it, especially for a for a kid, you know. So, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if you should be creating content at that age because, again, I think the the risk might be too high versus the reward. I mean, I made some really stupid videos when I was thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old. Thankfully, you can't find them anywhere. You know, you're finding yourself, you're finding your way at that age. And do you want everybody seeing that? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like, and it, it, I don't think it'll ever happen, but it does seem like it'd be really nice if kids could hit a reset button at 15 or 16 and just be right. like, you know, you just, just, sort you just of, don't get yeah, that. Yeah, just like you got this big, like, um, like undo button they can press. And it's just like, or at any point, and just sort of, wipes your whole digital life clean that would be cool what do you um 
So, so along with the hateful comments or the things that can happen to people, what do you think of uh, YouTube and their move to try and cleanse the internet of hate speech? Um, I don't. Well, uh, re in reference to adults or children, just in general. In I general. Mean, I mean, I, I look at the stuff that they demonetize videos and things right. like that, and it, it seems like the more you do that, the more you the YouTube puts themselves in the position of um, having to make finer and finer and finer distinctions, and that there's no way that people are going to agree with the distinctions that they make because they're all going to be done by committee, and and uh, I don't and 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 you wouldn't want them made by a dictator. Um, but the decisions I don't know, that dictators come out, get things done. Yeah, there you right? go. Yeah. So I, don't, I mean, I guess I just wonder about decision made. Yeah. You you live in a world where if somebody decides that your videos are somehow insulting yeah. to somebody, we've you had can that. Shut off. We've, we've, you've we've, had videos shut down. We've had video. Well, not we've demonetized? had them demonetized for what? Um, you know, we made a video that had some like zombies in them, and they thought it was too gory. We had one video where we were testing the efficacy of CBD oil against spicy things to see if, like, if you took some CBD oil, if you could then eat something really spicy and have it not hurt as much. And they demonetized that because it had to do with CBD oil. Completely legal. Right. Like, yeah. And, and they... doesn't matter. It's their, it's their platform. I mean, to sort of answer your question about hate speech, I don't, I don't think any person has a right to not be offended. I just so I think um, the simplest solution is to, um, uh, you know, allow pretty much any content to be out there unless it is directly a call for violence against somebody. I think the Supreme Court has made those sort of distinctions before. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of caveats to free speech, but I'm pretty, you know. Um, yeah, say whatever crazy stuff you want. I don't think you should be policing what people are saying other than, you know, if I go and tell a whole bunch of people, hey, go to Vance's house and um, let's murder him. I think that, right, is, is a call to um, violence that should be silenced. I don't think that should be allowed. But beyond that, I don't think you should have a right to not be offended. However, I don't, you don't have a right to make money off your statements right um i believe that you know something is worth what someone's willing to pay for it so if your content does offend a lot of people and no advertisers want to spend money on your content then yeah you're not going to make very much money you'll have to figure out a different way to do it you don't have a right to make money off your content on YouTube. I mean, it's a business and you got to follow their rules. Um, but that's the problem with monopoly platforms and YouTube is kind of monopoly platform. There aren't really other places to find all of, you know, that type of video in, in that scale. Do you put your videos anywhere besides YouTube? We put them on Facebook. But uh, the Facebook audience is a lot different than YouTube. They have uh, probably one-tenth the attention span of people <laughs> on YouTube uh, just because of the nature of the platform. Yeah, they're not so, there for it. Yeah, yeah so it doesn't uh, do nearly as well. But um, 
Yeah, I I kind of don't really subscribe to the idea that there is hate speech. I don't I think that's actually I don't want to say a made up concept. I just I don't um I've I yet mean, to I, see it. I'm you know, the concept of them being a monopoly is uh I don't know, you know, the the word monopoly gets gets thrown around mm-hmm. and it's not a government enforced monopoly. It's not like anybody saying you're not allowed to come out with a new YouTube you're a new uh, video platform. It's just it'd be really expensive and really difficult. But it's not like the utilities where they say only one person can run a, only one company can run utilities through here. Right, but sometimes you have like winner take all markets, and is that good? I don't. I I think we're finding that for some people, it's it's. Not so good. I guess I think YouTube understands because they are in this winner-take-all market, just like Google is with search. I mean, when was the last time you binged something? Never. Yeah, never. So when you own that market, then you have a lot of responsibility, and um, it probably does need some level of government regulation. I mean, here's a small example, right? Um, all the tech companies make all their money off of advertising and none of their metrics are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? None of their metrics are verified by a third party. So everything they say is self-reported, you know? So I never thought about that. I mean, Google's telling the advertiser, yeah, this is how many views the video got. This is how many people saw it. This is how many people clicked on it. This is how many. Who's verifying that? Who's validating any of that? No one, you know, but like for TV, you had the Nielsen's uh, company that would tell you how many. Wow. You know, uh, and this has come up to sort of, and I think advertisers have complained about this because there's been some small mistakes that Facebook has made where they've like underreported or overreported impressions for ads. And um, so you've, you've got these entities that are sort of like monopolies. They're self-regulating themselves and okay, what's the big deal? It's, you know, maybe Nike overspent some money on some ads. Like what's the big deal? But what you're getting at is kind of, you know, from a, a censorship standpoint, right? If if the young kids today are getting all of their news from Ray Will, Ray William Johnson, right? Um, and YouTube starts not not censoring him, but saying that look, we're going to if you talk about certain topics that aren't advertiser friendly you're going to make a lot less money. So now he's de-incentivized to talk about certain things. And is that good for kids that are getting their news from YouTube? I mean, I'm not saying I have the answer to that. I'm just saying that that's the dynamic that's been created because we don't have news anymore that, you know, is sort of, you know... Um, that's interesting. So yeah, you just said um, we don't have news anymore. When was the last time you watched CNN or Fox? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, while getting a haircut. 
Yeah, right. Or in the yeah. airport. I mean, yeah. I talk about like the only time I ever would see CNN or Fox would be in in the airport and i can tell yeah. what part of the country i'm in right based on what are they showing on the airport right is it fox is it, it cnn it's exactly is it, right is it nbc um yeah and I, other I, than that i, I would never I read go there it. to get my news that's yeah. where i see it is on is on reddit but we're a headline sort of i mean back to the i can't remember the names of the two two guys but if we're getting all our news from reading headlines on reddit and we think that we know something then yeah dunning kruger dunning kruger right we're we're all 100 percent confident in everything because uh we read a headline that's that morning about it it's good makes for a good informed population you know uh i don't know what the effects are going to be of this 50 years down the road i don't i don't know so um, to wrap up, not because this hasn't been a great conversation, but it is like about an hour and a half past when I normally go to bed. Yeah, so, yeah. And you live up the street. Right. And I can have you back again yeah, whenever anytime. I want. This has been a whole lot of fun. If you were going to point out to people, um, in addition to VAT19, which I'll, I'll link to in the subscription or in, in the notes, what are what are some corners of YouTube that people should go check out just to, just to go see? Like... Keep in mind, a lot of people that I that are that are listening are, are listening as opposed to YouTube fans, and so they don't know necessarily very much about YouTube. Oh my gosh! I know it's hard to believe, but YouTube's no. I was I don't know where to send someone to go to. You know, um, there's something for everyone on YouTube. So, what are your hobbies? Go to YouTube. Type that into the search bar. Right? What are you into? What do you like? You know. You like Metallica? Type Metallica live in there. You know, watch some, watch some Metallica shows from 1992. You know, and then see where that leads you. You know, just meander around and see if you find somebody that's interesting or, you know, you got a hobby or something like that. I mean, I'll watch mesmerizing videos of master woodworkers. And uh, really, oh, dude. Can you think of one in particular? I can't remember their names right now because I've got my subscriptions or whatever. What would you search for um, if you wanted to see mesmerizing woodworking? Oh, just type in woodworking and see what pops up. You know, you think CBD oil or whatever chills you out? Watch some dudes that are good at building stuff, woodworking style. Those videos are amazing because, you know... I'm never going to make a chair out of wood, <laughs> you know, but I'd like to think I could. And watching these other people do it, watching people that are good at something that they really enjoy doing is awesome. You know, that's why you like to have people come here that are sort of experts in whatever it is that they do. Cause I don't know, you, you, you're interested in their opinion or something. Um, watching people on YouTube that are really good at something is awesome. I have this, um, th- there's these videos of this one guy, I'm terrible at names, but, um, there's, there's this website called, I think it's called like Omegle or something like that. O M E G L E. And you can find those videos on YouTube and you just send me the link. I'll put it in. Yeah. It's this weird thing where it's just like, um, you're on your webcam and it just like puts somebody in, in front of you. Right. And, and this guy, um, he's an incredible like piano player and and singer so somebody will just sort of pop up on his chat and you know he'll be like okay um you know i like playing the piano like 
what what kind of music do you like? And the person on the other end would be like, uh, I don't know, you know, say Metallica or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I think I know. And I'll just start like playing it, playing a bunch of it and singing along. And it's so fascinating to watch someone that's so good at music that they can just sort of play anything wherever. And they're just doing it on the fly for people. Um, and that's that's awesome, you know. So like go type in some things you're interested in, hobbies, and see where that leads you on YouTube. Because there's great stuff on there. It's not all just um, kids being stupid and doing pranks and breaking things. And, you know, um, there's there's awesome stuff on there. Well, I mean, I think your stuff is awesome. And I'm not well, just nice saying that. I, uh, I could have just watched one or two, but I found myself being like, completely mesmerized by by your ability to have so much fun and and uh i had a friend in town um last week uh and he said uh you know one time i came home and my mother was uh to tell my mother like mom mom nobody wants to play with me and she said well why don't you just go outside there's a guy named Dwayne faber who's just on the podcast and she said just go outside Dwayne, and and play and act like you're having as much fun as you can and eventually people will will come around they'll want to be around you and uh and you know i th- i actually think that's a lot of what that 19 is about like people are going out they're having fun and it's so um invigorating and joyful that you just want to be around it so it it made my day better and i think you're putting things out there that are that are heartwarming and and uh, and wonderful and and wow. worth some some point of attention so that's um, really nice. Yeah, man. Thanks. Is, if people wanted to follow you on social media, where where would you direct them to? Just just Vat nineteen. I'm actually not. Uh, I'm not on social media. Can um, you believe that? So ironic. So, <laughs> well, thank you so much, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate you coming it's by. It's been awesome. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Well, that's it for this week's interview with Jamie Salvatore. If you want to see more about his shop, you can check out vat19.com and uh, go check out some of his videos. I've shown it to other people that I know, and they've kind of looked at it a little bit curiously, maybe with their eyebrows raised, and then they go to watch it, and they end up, like me, watching several hours. It's really interesting stuff, and you can see just what a creative mind can do if they're given a uh, video camera and a crew of people. So thank you so much for watching this. If you enjoyed it, I hope you'll share it with other people. Remember that reviews and subscribing uh, helps me get this out to more people. But just know I have loved, loved, loved doing this. It has been really interesting to interview new characters. And if you can think of interesting people in the St. Louis area that I should sit down and talk with, please do let me know. I hope you have a great week and we'll be back next Wednesday.